After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. J.J. Cooper, Kyle Glazer here on another Baseball America Playoff Podcast, the final playoff podcast of 2020, which is both a little sad, but also kind of awesome that we actually got to have playoff podcast in 2020. I know in March, April, May, that wasn't always a certainty. We have a World Series champion. We have the L.A. Dodgers, who have won it all for the first time since 1988, one of the most storied franchises in baseball history, has has basically ended what is a very long title drought for the Dodgers. That is over. And and not only is it over, but it is over in style. Uh, You know, the Dodgers were the best team in baseball this year in the regular season. They ran through what I would describe as a very challenging gauntlet. They essentially took on all comers. They beat the, the rising stars in their division They beat the second best team in the National League in the NLCS. And then they beat the best team in the American League, Tampa Bay Rays, in the World Series. So for everyone may want to talk about 60 games, this is, the reality of it is, is this is, in in my mind, I think in Kyle's too, but I'll ask him, you know, Kyle, I mean, I think that this is a true champion. There are no asterisks to this. The reality of it is is this postseason, there's no scenario where the Dodgers weren't going to make the playoffs in a 162 game season. And once you get to the postseason, there was nothing different. If anything, this postseason was tougher than a normal season. So that said, this is a title. Yes, it was a shorter season. I don't see any aspect to say that this title is tarnished in any way compared to a normal one. Look, A 60-game season is very different than a 162-game season. We can all acknowledge that. But that doesn't mean that the accomplishments of all teams throughout Major League Baseball this year were lesser. They were different, but not lesser. The challenges were different. I think a lot of fans out there, people on social media who are throwing asterisks on whether it's the Dodgers World Series or certain teams being really, really good, but, oh, well, they would have slowed down over 162 games. The challenges to this season for players, for coaches, for front office officials were were very, very different. And let's not kid ourselves how difficult they were. The daily testing regimens, the stress of COVID-19, a lot of these guys have not seen their families in months because they weren't allowed to travel out or families weren't allowed to travel in. The bubble that these players were subjected to, Tom Verducci wrote a little bit about it, uh, how it's comfortable, but it's still, you're still kind of trapped. You can't go anywhere. You can't do some of the basic things you want to do. This was a very, very difficult season for Major League Baseball. There was a lot of stress. There was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of concern on the part of everyone involved, players, coaches, officials, and it took an emotional toll on a lot of people. So I, I think that We can acknowledge it was a different season without demeaning the accomplishments of various teams, the Dodgers included. 
I, I would agree uh, wholeheartedly with that. And I, I also think it's, it is fitting that we have a Dodgers team win a World Series because this Dodgers team has been really – I, at some point I might write it, but it, it just stands out to me. Like there's an alternate universe where we are talking right now about how are the Dodgers rooting baseball? The Dodgers, uh, a couple of different bounces, the Dodgers could be the Yankees of the late 90s where you say, here is this team, the best team in baseball, year in, year out, that keeps winning World Series, that has more money than everybody, that also develops players as well, if not better than everybody. They have everything, they have all advantages and they succeed because of it instead because of really uh, some very narrow misses in a lot of cases in the postseason we're talking about their first world series win of of the past 32 years but this this world series win kyle it it, it in many ways is kind of the culmination of something that's been the the Dodgers have been working on this for for quite a while and really getting very close to kind of getting this this final validation for for many years. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it. They lost the World Series in 2017, 2018. Obviously, last year's uh, disaster of a Game 5 in the NLDS knocked out what was the winningest team in Dodgers franchise history. But you look at what they've done, eight straight division titles, but especially within the last four years, 104 wins, 106 wins. This year's team was on pace for... 115, 116 wins. Obviously, it's a shortened season. Maybe they fall off a little bit, but I don't think there's any universe this team doesn't win 100 games and, and potentially even 108, 109, 110. The Dodgers have built the behemoth in Major League Baseball. And I, I wrote this article back in April. Well, it was released in April, but it was written before everything shut down. Uh, other executives are on the game saying the Dodgers are the model organization right now. And Again, a lot of people just say, oh, well, they have a lot of money to spend. It's, it's more than that. 14 of the 28 players on the Dodgers World Series roster were homegrown. This is an organization that has, in a lot of ways, perfected having a consistent message to the organization. It's little things, but a lot of teams don't do this, where you know the players who receive a scouting report in the minor leagues, it's the exact same format as what they receive in the major leagues. It's an easy transition. These guys can just go out and play. The reason the Dodgers have standout rookies come up year after year after year without sort of that adjustment period it seems like most other teams rookies are subject to that's not an accident a lot of these guys are brought up and given the same information their coaches already know what their routines are the clubhouse culture allows them to be themselves there's none of the rookie hazing stuff again i hit on all this in that article i wrote before the season And on top of it all, you have an organization that's devoted to really getting the best out of their players. One of the things that has always struck me about the minor leagues is you're trying to develop professional athletes, yet you're giving them crap food, putting them in places where they don't have good workout facilities. I mean, you're trying to physically develop professional athletes. The easiest thing you could do is say, hey, Let's make sure they're eating healthy food. Let's make sure they're sleeping in comfortable quarters. Let's make sure that these guys are being given proper workout facilities. It's so regressive and frankly harmful to teams' championship aspirations when they're giving their guys peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, having them sleep eight to a two-bedroom apartment, and giving them old dilapidated weights equipment in stadiums that wouldn't pass a health inspection. 
the Dodgers said, we're not doing any of that. And you've seen, again, I talked about this in the article, the reason they have so many homegrown success stories is not just because they draft and develop well, it's because they give these guys the tools to succeed. Another executive talked about this. More often than not, when you go in and look at the Dodgers at every level, their players are physically ahead of their opponents a lot of times. And it was an organizational decision, top to bottom of, hey, in order to get the best from our players and make sure that we successfully raise professional athletes through our system, let's actually, I know, crazy thought, give them good, healthy, nutritious food, give them the right facilities, ensure that they can have a higher quality of life so they just can worry about going and playing. They're not going out there hungry. Again, it's a rather obvious solution, but it's something that was an intentional decision made by the Dodgers, and we see the success at the major league level. Again, half of their World Series roster is homegrown, and that's not complimentary pieces. That's Corey Seager. That's Cody Bellinger. That's Walker Bueller. That's Clayton Kershaw. They have homegrown guys on this roster dating back over a decade now. You add in great scouting player development. Everything comes together, and and. Look, three World Series appearances in four years, two 100-win seasons, plus on pace for another this year, that doesn't happen by accident, and it's not because the Dodgers simply threw money at it. You look at how this team was built. You look at the attitudes this organization takes towards its players as well as its coaches. The Dodgers are very analytically driven, but they also employ a huge, huge, huge contingent of trainers, coaches, and also scouts. They blend analytics and scouting as well as any organization in baseball. And at a time when teams are cutting lots and lots and lots of scouts in favor of analytics, the Dodgers as well as the Rays are the example of, no, you need both analytics and scouts. And the Dodgers do it as well as anyone. This was an organizational victory. The players made it happen. The organization set these players up to have success. They, They did, and they had massive success they've had massive success you know and on top of all that they also paid a a pretty modest they paid a very modest uh price to acquire one of the best players in baseball now they did take on david price's salary to do so which is significant i don't want to make it sound like it's not but at the same time they made a trade there are many teams that could have done that trade and yes, they have re-signed Mookie Betts for the long term. You didn't need to do that for that to be a successful trade with the prospect cost that they gave up. Alex Verdugo and Jeter Downs and taking on David Price's salary. Now, if you didn't take on David Price's salary, you almost assuredly were going to pay a larger prospect cost. But as good as this Dodgers team is, as good as they've been, it's you know, no one player makes the difference, but having Mookie Betts added to that lineup this year did make a massive difference. And we saw it in the postseason. The, the thing that just stood out time and time again in this world series, it's really impressive to me that the Rays gave them as good a fight as they did, because it's amazing to me because you look at it and the Dodgers lineup, there is no, there are so few easy outs in that lineup. And the Rays lineup, I felt in game six when Randy Orozarena hit a stinger of a ball to the gap and Cody Bellinger flagged it down in the eighth inning. I was talking with a friend of mine on the phone watching the game and the comment was, you know, 
we both kind of made was, well, now it's over. That was the last chance the Rays had because Randy Orozarena, you know, they, they needed Randy Orozarena to do something because pretty much without him, they have a whole lot of guys. Again, Brandon Lau had a terrible series, had a terrible postseason. He's a much better hitter than that normally. Three for, you know, he had three homers. I believe those also were his three hits in the World Series. But that's just not nearly as deep a lineup. And the adding Mookie Betts to a lineup that already had Corey Seager, that already had Cody Bellinger, that already had Justin Turner, that already had Will Smith, you, that, the better team won. And, and that's one of the things that, that stands out. But that also leads us into game six, the final game. The first guest decision that very rarely does something happen in – I would. I think we'd have to go back in the postseason to to Grady Little leaving Pedro Martinez out, you know, and, and saying, I'll go, "I'm going to see if Pedro can get out of this." That's the last decision I can think of that was so first guessed, so universally decried at the time as Kevin Cash's decision to come out and pull Blake Snell, who had been utterly cruising. And again, I, w- I don't know whether I want to say because he gave up a single or maybe it was because he was getting ready to go through the lineup a third time. They opt to go to the pen. They bring in Nick Anderson, which, by the way, the splits for this year for Mookie Betts, you know, are very clear that he was much better, much more effective against right-handers than lefties. Kyle, I know, I, I know that you are not a fan of that move. But before I have you answer that question, Kyle, I just want we have a quick break. We're going to go to a quick break right now. Guys, a lot of our identity is wrapped up in our hair, how we style it before going out, how it looks and feels after a fresh cut. That's why when those late 20s, early 30s start to hit and those first signs of hair loss start showing up, it's pretty upsetting. Let's face it, none of us ever really want to go bald. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. Keeps makes it super easy, just a quick doctor's visit online. Get your hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They deliver your medication every three months, so you don't have to worry about pharmacy checkout lines, waiting for an appointment at a doctor's office. Give it a try and find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors. More than 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. Treatment starts at $10 a month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free with a great promo offer here at Baseball America. It's a great deal. You don't want to miss out on it. If you're ready to put a stop to your hair loss, go to keeps.com slash baseballamerica. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash baseballamerica to receive your first month of treatment free. Once again, that's keeps.com slash baseballamerica. Give it a try. You won't be sorry. And let's put a stop to that hair loss. And I'm sorry, Kyle, I interrupted you there before I let you answer the question until I have go to a break. But now, what, what do you think? Do you have the floor? First and foremost, credit before criticism. The Dodgers bullpen, after Tony Gonson was not sharp, came in and threw seven and a third shutout innings with two hits allowed, no walks, and 12 strikeouts. They kept the game close. That game could have gotten out of hand they shut down the Rays' offense to keep it a one nothing game. Give the Dodgers' bullpen, which we have talked about a lot of times throughout this postseason, as a weak point, all the credit in the world. They kept that game close. Again, the Dodgers won this series. I think it's important we give them credit and not frame it as the Rays blew it. 
The Dodgers won out. They played better. They won this World Series. Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Justin Turner, Max Muncy, Jock Peterson. These guys came out and they hit. They played well. Their studs, for the most part, stepped up. Clayton Kershaw won both of his World Series starts. Walker Bueller was amazing in his World Series start. Julio Urias was great both as a starter and as a reliever. You have to give credit first and foremost. The Dodgers' best players, for the most part, played well. That is why they won the World Series. And I cannot emphasize that enough as we start to move into this discussion. This was the best team. Their best players played the best. And as a result, they are worthy World Series champions. In regards to this decision... And again, this is not a damnation of all analytics. This is, this is about this decision. We have seen teams pull pitchers because of a fear. They are fearful of letting their pitcher go a third time through the order. And there is no question that for the majority of major league pitchers, yes, there is absolutely a third time through the order penalty. Hitters adjust to you. They've seen you twice they make an adjustment and more often than not win that battle. But you have to take into account who's on the mound, how he's throwing, the type of swings hitters are getting off him, what is happening in the game. And that has been something I have talked about for years and years and years and years. If you stick to a fundamentalist dogma of, oh, third time three, we've got to pull him. You're going to wear out your bullpen. You're going to lose games. You are going to eventually start putting inferior pitchers on the mound. And if you do that, you are actively harming your team's chances of winning. And that is what Kevin Cash did. Every single person in this world makes professional mistakes. I make them. You make them. And that's fine. What was most problematic to me about this was after the game was over, asked about it in the press conference. Kevin Cash said if he had to do it over again, he would do the exact same thing. Can I interrupt you for a second, though? Sure. That's the right answer. Oh, I can't know. Absolutely, no, absolutely no. not. No, 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 no. Hold on. Here's why that's the right answer. You're looking, if you're Kevin Cash, if his answer is, I wish the result had been different, but he has no new information, you're looking at it from the result determines how you make the decision. No, I'm Can not. Say, I'm saying, but no, 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 but you are, but you are, but you're saying he has no new information other than the result. You can disagree completely with his decision. You can say that he interpreted the data wrong, that he should have allowed for Blake Snell because Blake Snell in that situation. And I agree with you is more effective than Nick Anderson was going to be. However, you can't, if you're the manager, you can say, looking at it, maybe I should have emphasized this over this. Maybe I should this or this. But you can't say, I would do it differently now because the result was poor, which is what you're saying. Because Kevin Cash made that decision an hour and a half before that, right? His, the information he had when he made that decision was still the same information, right? The result we now know. He didn't know that when he made that decision. But the information that went into his decision it, at the time of the decision is still the same. 
But if you so, inter, if he inter, if he still would interpret that information the same way he did, that is problematic. This is a situation where what, you have what, a guy, how, the the pitcher on the mound, is dominating the Dodgers. He is completely yes. and utterly having his way with them. There is no decline in his stuff. He is throwing strikes with four pitches. The Dodgers, by their own admission, they talked about this over and over in the press conference. It was a sigh of relief when he left the game. Yes. Kevin Cash gave them a second wind. Yes. And if you're the manager, you need to be able to recognize that and say, okay, if this situation happens again, I need to do something differently because if I am putting a lesser pitcher on the mound and with the way Blake Snow was throwing and the way Nick Anderson has been throwing, that is a failure of process. That is a failure to sure. properly interpret the information in front of you. So yes, you absolutely have to say, you know what? I messed up. I made a mistake. I interpreted the information in front of me incorrectly. And I need to fix that next time so I don't cost my team the best chance to win. But, but again, he has been, other than the result, this is not how teams operate in 2020. And again, we can all argue this, but the process, when teams say they trust the process, you are absolutely right. Should the Rays spend their offseason reevaluating whether their process was correct? I agree with you completely that their process should have said, you know what, the third time through the order penalty Let's say that it means that Blake Snell is going to all of a sudden these hitters are going to be, you know, 50 points of slugging better than they were before. 50 points of OBP better. That's a pretty massive amount. That would be larger than a normal third time through the order penalty. It is absolutely fair to say, you know what, but Blake Snell at the way he was pitching, even if you throw a third time through the order penalty in there, that may mean that a guy who was slugging 100 is going to slug 150 against him in the situation. A 100 OBP was going to go to 150. That's still better than Nick Anderson. I completely agree that they should be evaluating their process and saying, did we make the right decision? Maybe we didn't. But none of that, the only thing that has changed for Kevin Cash since when he made that comment, the only thing that had changed for him, he hasn't had time to go over and look at all these things. The only thing that has changed is the result turned out poorly, right? The result turned have, out poorly because his decision was poor. That's connected. It's not. But, but not when you say that, but, but when you say that, but the decision he made, what I'm, all I'm trying to say is, is that as a manager, that is the right answer there though. The result turned out poorly. I still believe, though, that I made the right decision. Now, again, he may come back three months from now and say, you know what? Having had time to analyze it, I made the wrong decision. Next time, I need to do something differently. But as a manager, like, if I'm in a football and I go, on, go for it on fourth and one instead of kicking a field goal and it doesn't work out, or if I'm Pete Carroll and I decide to throw – with the, on the final play instead of running to Marshawn Lynch. But if you ask me right after that game, did I make the wrong call? The logical answer is to me, and again, I know this makes me an automaton. This makes me a robot. The logical answer is no. I was given all the information I had. I made this decision. 
And the fact that it didn't turn out well it doesn't change my process. Now, again, I completely agree with you. I utterly agree with you. I think that they need to look at it and say, our process in this case may have been flawed. We emphasized third time through the order penalty too much, and we failed to emphasize quality of the pitcher or where he was at that point. At the same time, the other, the, I tweeted this last night, the utterly unpopular idea that I have is, this is understandably, this is what makes baseball great, is decisions like this where a manager makes a big impact on a game and can really win or lose a World Series game, a very vital World Series game. That said, Rays weren't winning that game last night. Like, what is a realistic, how far do you think Blake Snell, who had not thrown more than five and two-thirds innings in a game this year, I know he was rolling. Is it fair to say he could have gotten through the seventh? Is it stretching it to say maybe he gets through the eighth? It's hard to get into hypotheticals. Uh, Mookie Betts, for the record, said he thought Blake Snell could have thrown a complete game given where his stuff was at, given where his pitch count was at. I think there's no question he could have gotten through seven. But I actually want to circle back. I'm really, really, really glad you brought up the Seahawks-Patriots Super Bowl because that, to me, was the perfect analogy here. This was the worst decision in a championship game in any sport since that. And I remember when that happened, second and one, you have one of the biggest, most physical running backs in football, excuse me, second and goal on the one. You have Marshawn Lynch as your running back. Yeah. And you decide to throw it. it is an inexcusable, inexplicable, horrendous decision. And I remember after it happened, all the second level analytics people saying, well, actually it was a good decision because X, Y, Z. No. You have your horse who cannot be stopped. But Give him the rock. The same thing here. But, you have your guy. He is pitching his tail off. The but, opponents aren't touching him. Keep it simple. Don't overthink this. Let your best players win you the game. We're, we're not disagreeing on that. But here's what I'm saying. When you said that Kevin Cash gave the wrong answer after the game, what I'm saying is, is as a manager, if he just said, I was utterly wrong to do that, what he is saying is then the way the Rays operate is he's saying, I failed because, I, because of my process. Now, again, given time to go back through it is one thing, but it is a logical answer for him to have after the game. He explained, here is the thought processes into my decision. I'm not saying he made the right decision. Obviously, everyone in the world says at the time was like, this seems like a stupid decision. I'm just saying it is absolutely understandable the way the thing that teams try to do, and again, I know A-Rod said this is how Ivy Leaguers are ruining the game, which, by the way, is baffling to me when you say the Dodgers are as – I mean, they do all. The, the, the Rays and the Dodgers are two teams who, again, most teams do now, but they use all of it. The Rays are one of the best scouting teams, period. They're incredible at it. The Rays are one of the best player development teams, period. They're great at it. Agreed. The Dodgers are one of the best scouting teams, period. They're great at it. The Dodgers are one of the best player development teams, period. They're great at it. Research and development. And they're both also top of the scale when it comes to the analytics of the game, too. Both of these teams, they're, they're essentially created, I, I would describe it as the, the Dodgers, who have Andrew Friedman, are what the Rays do, the difference being they just have some more money. <laughs> They have more money to do 
the, the Rays have to pick and choose where the Dodgers say, we're just going to do all of it because we have the money to do all of it. But, but the reality of it is, is that, you know, again, I, the, the only point I'm trying to make is he made the wrong call. But I understand why he said that after the game, because if you are him, you are doing the same thing that you did that got you all the way to this point. And that's what the, and he spent, and so he is staying with the conviction, not just of his decisions, but of the organization's decisions. As he said after the game, he said, this is how we do this. And again, we can disagree with the decision, but I understand the logic of why he still defended the idea of the decision after the game, because this is how they do this. Yeah, see, and that's also problematic to me because every situation is different and you have to read the situation. I remember someone on social media saying, hey, you can't criticize this when they did the same thing game seven of the ALCS with Charlie Morton. No, different situation. Morton had runners on the corners, two on, and he was in the middle lineup about to face a guy in Michael Brantley who was swinging really, really well and had hit Charlie Morton well. That is a completely different situation than just a guy on first with Mookie Betts coming up, who Blake Snell had dominated to this point. Not to mention Corey Seeker and Justin Turner, he'd struck out twice already. Different situation, much less dangerous. You leave that guy in. And, and I understand what you're trying to say. I think you and I just are going to have a very fundamental disagreement about this. You cannot disconnect process from results. If you keep getting crappy results oh, yeah. and saying, I'm going to stick to my process, I'm going to stick to my process, I'm going to stick to my process, that's being stubborn. And again, but, yes, but, the, the, dot, the Rays have had success pulling their starters early. There is no question. Pulling games, Blake Snell did in game two was absolutely the right situation, but he did that because Snell could not get the third out of the inning. You have to watch what's happening. And in this case, the Rays failed to do that. And that is a failure of their process. And they need to go back and adjust that and also own up to, hey, we messed up. Let's just not, let's not make the same mistake again. It's about making sure you don't repeat your mistakes. And this was a mistake, period. You don't get enough results in the postseason to determine anything, though. You're, you're talking about such small samples. Again, I, I understand, but I'm just trying to explain to fans this is how teams operate now. And I get it that fans get very frustrated by it. I get it that, to be honest, it is not always the most appealing aesthetic version of the game. I get it that this decision tonight was, or last night, I should say, we're now the next morning. This decision last night in many ways was the analytics equivalent of Grady Little going the wrong way the other way which is leaving Pedro in and which was the, I'm trusting my ace. Like that was everything that could be described from an old school perspective of I'm trusting my ace. There's no one I'd rather have on the mound in this situation than Pedro Martinez, even though much what you're saying, again, I don't want to make it like a straw man argument, much like you're saying, Pedro was making, was giving indications. He was done. Pedro thought he was done. All of these things. None of this is easy. At the same time, I, what I'm just saying, though, is, is that, no, teams do not base their they – they look back at their process and go, could our process be better? But the results of it in a one situation are, are somewhat divorced from how they make these decisions. The same way that the Dodgers – again, I, the, the key thing to me overall is, is I absolutely think that the Dodgers were winning this game, whether they pull Blake Snell there or whether they let him go deeper. And the reason I say that is, is the Rays scored one run in that game. And 
Nick Anderson was bad. Peter Fairbanks gave up a home run. I do think that the Dodgers at some point in that game were going to score not just a run, but probably two. And the problem that the, the Rays had, the problem the Rays had through this series, they generally, Nick Anderson was bad. You know, for, for Nick Anderson was seemed worn out and was not at his best. But that said, the biggest problem the Rays had throughout this series is their lineup is just not as productive as the Dodgers lineup. And there's no crime to that. <laughs> the, the reason that the Braves pushed the Dodgers further than the Rays did to me is that the Braves were one of the few teams in baseball who had a lineup that could even come close to competing with how good this Dodgers lineup was. And, you know, again, I mean, the, the fact that the Dodgers won this, the better team won this series to me. Uh, and that's, you know, at the end of the day, I felt, you know, I felt like that the Rays had a decent chance to win game six. I really did not like their chances. Charlie Morton or not, I thought, if you're going to give the ball to Walker Bueller in game seven, the Dodgers are going to win that game. And they didn't, you know, we, we were deprived of a game seven, which, you know, it's a bummer, but it happens. But I do think overall, I, it was the wrong decision. And we agree on that. It was the wrong decision. And I agree with you. I agree with you that the Rays should absolutely go back in their process. Like if you look at this, my thing is, is if you look at this from an analytical perspective also, I do think that, that when they look back at their process, they may have to say at the end of the day, we made the wrong call as far as analytically as well. Because I do think <laughs> putting Nick Anderson in there at that point instead of Blake Snell, there's no way to believe like, Yes, sometimes it, it's absolutely true. Process can also mean that you overcomplicate things. I think we agree on that. Like the simple answer is, is the same way that when we've seen, again, I'll go back to football because like if I'm a fan, I'm a fan of the Steelers. If a team punts on fourth and one and you're like all excited about it as the defense, oh good, they didn't go for it. That's really kind of telling you in some ways in the back of your head, they made the wrong call. That really, you know, what you really hope they didn't do is that. If you're a Dodgers fan, it's absolutely true. The minute they pulled Blake Snell from that game, you were thrilled. You were ecstatic. Forget the, Dodgers fans. Go back. I mean, I was on the Dodgers players too. Yeah. I, I was on the, the post-game press conferences last night and to a man, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Dave Roberts. It's like, oh man, that, that uplifted us. That gave us a shot in the arm. That was, I mean, Mookie Betts, the minute they pulled Blake Snell, Mookie Betts looked over at Dave Roberts and smiled. They knew as soon as that happened, that they even given new life. And look, again, every situation is different. And my issues with, you know, the Pedro parallel and the Matt Harvey parallel, both those guys were well over a hundred pitches. Both those guys had started to show signs. You have to remember in that ninth inning, Matt Harvey gave up a leadoff walk to Lorenzo Cain in the top of the ninth there. Blake Snell was in a much cleaner position than both of these guys. Pitch count wise, what was happening on the bases and with his control, with his stuff. And that's where, to me, this one was a bad decision, even trying to use those precedents as comparison points. But again, I want to go back to what you talked about. The Rays' bullpen had not been pitching particularly well. Their offense, outside of Randy or Rosarena, had not done much. You know, Kevin Kiermaier had hit well in the World Series. Manny Margot had some big hits in the World Series, as well as the CS. But on the whole, they had not hit. And again, the fact they were only leading one nothing made the decision tougher because if they're up five nothing maybe you give them a little more leash and that goes back to again give the Dodgers bullpen credit for going out there shutting down this Rays offense keeping that game close 
so that they had to make a decision like that and give their offense new life. The Dodgers bullpen kept them in it and their offense pounced when they were given an opportunity. And that's what championship teams do. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is, is I think it's also Julio Urias, <laughs> the, the Dodgers basically as they've done in this series a couple of times, the most important starting pitcher that the Dodgers had in this game ended up being the guy who actually closed out the game. Julio Urias is normally a starter, and he's the guy who went longest in this game. It, the reality of it is, is that when we talk about that the Dodgers got excited when Blake Snell came into the game, the other thing I would say... When Blake Snell left the game. Left the game, sorry, left the game, yes. Think. When Blake Snell left the game, the flip side of that is, is if you're the Rays hitters, when Julio Urias came into that game, from that point on, it was over. They were... They did nothing against him. And that's the thing also, like, okay, maybe this game gets to 1-1. Again, we're playing in a hypothetical world. I, I kind of like alternate history stuff and all. If it's 1-1, the Dodgers could kind of let Julio Urias kind of just probably do that for another two, three innings. Whereas the Rays at this point had used Anderson, who'd been poor. They'd used Fer they had kind of gone through much of their A team just to get it to the ninth. They were going to be going to their B team against a Dodgers bullpen who hadn't even had to really break out much of the A. You know, much, you know, they, 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 Urias could have gone for a while. They were in better situation in this, better shape in this game if it had gone longer as well, in addition to the fact that they have just a lineup that's, like you said, like really in the, in the World Series, Kiermaier, put together some good at-bats. Yandy Diaz put together some good at-bats. Randy Rosarena remains um, on a different planet. But that's it. I mean, that's just it. You know, Joey Wendell, Mike Zanino, Willie Adamez, G-Man Choi, Brandon Lau. There were a lot of bad at-bats from those guys. A lot of non-competitive at-bats. And I don't want to put it all on them, but also give credit. Like, the reality is, is that the Dodgers pitching – the Dodgers' approach to those guys was very good throughout the entirety of the six-game series. No question. I mean, again, you look at it. I wrote it in the recap story last night. The Dodgers out-hit the Rays. They out-homered the Rays. They outscored the Rays. Dodgers pitchers had more strikeouts and fewer walks and ERA nearly two runs lower. I mean, however you want to measure it out, the Dodgers outplayed and outperformed the Rays. Um, and I want to circle back to something. I'm a big believer in if you're going to criticize, you also need to give credit. And look, we've talked a lot in the past about Dave Roberts and Dodgers organizational pitching decisions, including this year with the way May and Gonsolin were handled and just kind of how, how things had lined up for them. They managed things very, very, very well, games five and six. And you have to give them credit for that. Again, first and foremost, you credit the players. They performed. When players perform, they're, they're, they're going to make you look smart. But um, I thought the decisions about, you know, when to pull Kershaw, playing it more conservative with him was the right call. I remember on social media in game five when they pulled Dustin May in favor of Victor Gonzalez, people freaked out. And I made sure to tweet out at that point, Victor Gonzalez is actually pretty good against righties. You burn, you make them burn G-Man Choi. You know, Dustin May, has, he's pitching really well. But again, with, with the way things had gone with him in the past, as well as lefties coming up if the question is is Victor Gonzalez better against a righty 
than May is against a lefty? The answer is yes, Victor Gonzalez is. I thought that was tactically actually a smart move. And it, again, it's not a smart move because it worked out. It worked out because it was a smart move. And again, there's just a lot of different things the Dodgers did. Again, are there things during the pro, this postseason where you could say, ah, oh, well, this wasn't great? Yeah, but you make, for the most part, the right decisions in crunch time and your best players step up and perform. That's a combination that's going to lead you to wins a lot more often than not. And I think, again, the Dodgers deserve all the credit in the world. And I thought what jumped out to me last night, just kind of a, a perfect little capper on the organization they've built is, Victor Gonzalez got the win and Julio Urias got the save. Uh, those two guys were signed out of the same scouting trip to Mexico back in 2012. They also signed Yasiel Puig during that trip. And Mike Brito was the signing scout for both of these guys. The same Mike Brito who signed Fernando Valenzuela back in the late 70s uh, and also signed Ismael Valdez and Antonio Osuna. And really for all intents and purposes is the guy responsible for opening the Dodgers to Mexico pipeline, which has yielded so many star players. And also, I mean, you want to talk about economic impact. The, it has to be tens of billions of dollars in Dodgers economic impact, you know, both the Mexican American community and fans in Mexico, what they've meant to this organization. I mean, Mike Brito has done this for 40 years and, and for two of his guys to get the win and the save in the clinching game of the world series, I thought it was just a perfect capper to, to this organization, the talent they've built, the scouts they've employed, the players they brought in and, and helped nourish. I thought that was just a really cool moment that, that really signified what this Dodgers organization has done and what they've built. One of the things that, that just stands out to me with that is, is it, it doesn't seem like that many years ago that Julio Urias was, I remember the first call I had about a guy talking to a scout who's like, I just saw this 16-year-old pitching in the Midwest League, and he's one of the best guys in the league. And it's like, wait, 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 stop for a second. 16? And then I go look it up, and it's like, no, he's 16. And it's like, how is there a 16-year-old? 16-year-olds don't play in the Midwest League. And, 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 and Julio Urias created issues for the Dodgers kind of for, for a stretch of years because they couldn't figure out – how do you develop a guy who's so advanced, but also so young? And I don't think it always necessarily worked. They kept him on very, very tight pitch counts, very tight, you know, uh, innings limits. And he's got hurt, you know, but to the Dodgers and his credit, he came back from a serious shoulder injury. He looks every bit as good as he, as he did pre pre-surgery, you know, it's, it was a, it's been a long and winding road for a guy who's still only 24 years old. But again, what you, what you talked about, what you stressed there, this is what the Dodgers do. The Dodgers are really good at all the different aspects that go into being a successful team in 2020. I, you know, I'm not, look, they've had their, I don't want to make it a blanket where they're, they don't have any flaws or anything either. They're, you know, on the international side, They've been investigated, you know, as far as potential, uh, you know, and investigation that's still ongoing. Um, and so we don't make it, you know, that we don't make it sound like, oh, they just don't do anything wrong. You know, there are things that they're looking into. But at the same time, when you talk about a totality of an organization that basically I would describe their approach as we're going to synthesize all of this 
everything we can. The Dodgers really view it as they want to be the best. They don't want to be the best at pitching development and we'll figure out on hitting. We don't want to be, they want to be the best at everything. They want to have the best technology. They want to have the best trainers. They want to have the best R and D. They want to have the best scouts. They do it all. And generally they do it all really well. And like one of the things you just talked about, and they have guys, they have people who've been there. There aren't many baseball lifers left, especially baseball lifers who spent their entire careers basically working for one organization. Mike Brito is a baseball lifer and he's a Dodgers baseball lifer. You know, again, Fernando, I, I'm not young, but Fernando, Fernando mania was a part of my youth. Mike Brito is a big part of that. Here he is still, still doing it. You know, I am, you know, they also, their team, you know, got the Vin Scully tweet last night. Vin Scully has been, you know, they, again, they have these people who are, they're Dodgers. When you say Dodgers for life and it's very long lives, it's kind of awesome to see that that team gets a world series, you know, and I, we would be remiss though to not cover the other thing that happened last night that did basically put a damper uh, on some of what was going on, which is when it happened, sometimes things happen in games and you're like, I cannot find any logic about this. The minute that Edwin Rios came into game to play third base, with two innings to go in a clinching game, there was no, it, at the time it happened, because all it just was announced, they showed the graphic, it's like, now in is, you know, Chris Taylor is in left, and Kike Hernandez is at second, and Edwin Rios is at third, and then a ball was hit to Edwin Rios, and you're like, why is Edwin Rios in this game? And we found out after the game, immediately after the game, with one of those weird, like, Fox did it, like, uh-oh, this sounds like a special bulletin, you know, like, we have news, Justin Turner tested positive. That's why he was pulled for, for COVID. That's why he was pulled from the game. It does put a damper in some ways on everything. The MLB had come to through the postseason. They were on a nearly two-month streak of having no one test positive for coronavirus. And here they are in the capper of the World Series. A player is pulled from the game having tested positive, which Ant throws out all kinds of questions of if the Rays had won that game, what would, you know, I, I don't have an answer. I don't know if we'll ever fully know the answer for what would have happened because the process that had been installed during the regular season was at that point, close contacts, you, you shut things down until you have enough days to basically feel confident that there's not been further spread. Would they have done that with game seven of the World Series? Which, by the way, also means that you, know, you have TV you know, issues. You have rest, days of rest issues. You have all these things going on. It would have created a thousand questions. But Kyle, you know, I mean, what, what struck you about what happened at the very end of that and the post-game post of that game? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, what would have happened if it goes to game seven. Uh, USA Today quoted an anonymous MLB official saying, unclear. Thankfully, we don't have to make that decision. Yeah, so again, the background is, I've said this on the podcast really since I joined BA after being out here on the West Coast and covering a, a lot of major league teams, including the Dodgers, um, my previous positions. 
Justin Turner is the heart and soul of this team. He's the clubhouse leader. You know, he's the guy that, for all intents and purposes, has been the steadying force that that's made the Dodgers go a lot of times in the postseason. And because of that, he, he has kind of an outsized influence in that clubhouse, on team officials, just in general, within the Dodgers universe. And I'm trying to think the best way to say this because, look, the optics of this are, are not great, um, especially after MLB has emphasized strict quarantine, a, a bubble for the postseason, you know, making sure anyone who is even remotely close to the coronavirus is immediately removed from anyone and everyone around them. Um, that, that stretch to how they operated during the postseason with Tier 3 not being allowed anywhere near Tier 2s, not even on the same level as them in stadiums, and, and Tier 1s having another degree of separation. So for the Dodgers, when you're in that moment and you're a club official and everything Justin Turner has meant to that team and he's saying, I'm going out there, I, I don't care, it's difficult to stop him You in that moment. And we saw, you know, Mookie Betts and, and Corey Seager and, and some of the other guys in the Dodgers talking about, you know, how they wanted him out there. That's gone so far as to say he deserves to be out here. Andrew Friedman talked a little bit about it as well and, and mentioned he's about to be a free agent. They wanted to get a picture with the trophy. and But there's no question, you know, pictures of Justin Turner sitting next to his manager with his GM a few steps away, maskless, is problematic for Major League Baseball. I mean, this is a virus that has killed 225,000 Americans. We're seeing surges around the U.S. right now. I know I'm going to be curious to see additional information as it comes out over the coming days, but there's no question that this is problematic, and especially given the emphasis Major League Baseball has placed on keeping individuals who test positive isolated. And look, I do think that if this was a different player, a lesser player, team officials, club officials, everyone involved, it would have been a lot easier for them to say, no, you're staying in this room. You're not coming out of here. And the fact that it was Justin Turner absolutely had a role here and him being basically able to say, I don't care, I'm going on the field. I'm going to be very curious to see what happens over the next few days, how it's addressed. But at this point, there's no question. The optics are problematic for both Major League Baseball and the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it's unfortunate because I think today, rather than talking about this incredible team the Dodgers built, and yes, they absolutely used money to build that. I don't think any team should be shamed for spending money. <laughs> These incredible World Series performances by Clayton Kershaw, by Corey Seager, by Muncie, by Turner himself, that's being overshadowed now in a really morbid kind of way. It's also 2020. The coronavirus is what defined the 2020 Major League Baseball season, and now it's kind of characterizing its end as well. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I, again, this is a story, this will be a multi-day story too, because there's been some reporting already on kind of the timing of, you know, when they found out the inconclusive test and then they found out on the positive test and all that. But there's going to be further reporting, I'm sure, on kind of the process and we're things in the process kind of, you know, there was a time during the regular season when inconclusive tests were treated as presumptive positives until, you know, until a confirmation that you weren't positive, but maybe there are other times where they weren't treated as presumptive positive. There's a lot here. And to be honest, yeah, I, I don't know enough about the series, about the entire situation right now. I've done no reporting on this myself. 
I've just read the stories. You were on the Zoom calls, I was not. So, I mean, I know that it is not a good look that Justin Turner came back out. It is possibly he endangered other people, you know, that, that, that is a reality. I mean, that is, it's, this is a, 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 a contagious, a highly contagious virus that has, you know, serious implications, especially if you are in a more of an at-risk group. That we know. But that said, you know, again, also not be, you know, I, I will leave it at, there's a lot that we need to learn from the, about this. There's a lot that will come out, I'm sure, at some point. But I want to circle uh, it back. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go yeah ahead. no, so I, wanna, I wanted to ask you a question, moving back onto the field. Mm -hmm. So I remember at the end of the 2016 World Series, my first year working at Baseball America, sitting on a podcast with, with you, and I believe John Manuel was on as well, talking about the Cubs and how they had this tremendous young core, their entire infield was age 26 and under, and said they're in great position. Obviously, you can never guarantee more World Series, but they're in position, and, and there's no question that they have a chance to win another. And as we know, they have not. You know, winning a World Series is such a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous accomplishment where so many things have to go right, and it's incredibly difficult to do it again and again and again. When you look at the big picture of the Dodgers, and I'm asking you this specifically because you're the elder statesman of Baseball America, you've been here, I believe, second longest on staff and, and have kind of the largest long view of anyone on staff in a lot of ways, along with Matt Eddy. Do you see a team that is primed to go on, whether it's a Giants-type run of, of three and five years, a Yankees-type run of three straight and four and five years? I mean, what do you think the potential for this Dodgers team is looking at what they have currently? I would say they have a chance because there's nothing that should prevent them from being one of the best teams in baseball for the next five years at least. And I say that because they have Mookie Betts signed for long-term. They have the resources. I mean, they can keep a lot of this core together. They can't keep the entirety of the core. They can keep a lot of it. They still have a good farm system. Walker Bueller, if he stays healthy, could be the ace for the 2020s for them, like Clayton Kershaw has been the ace for them for the past decade. They have all the pieces together. That said, and again, this is where I'm – somewhat robotic and annoying to a lot of people. And I get that. The difference between the Braves and the Yankees in the 1990s isn't that the Yankees wanted it more. It isn't that the Yankees had a vastly superior team. They were maybe a little bit better. They had better bullpens because of Mariano Rivera, because of John Wetland. And maybe that was, you know, maybe that was enough to be the difference because when the Braves handed the ball to Mark Wohlers in a World Series, he gave up a big homer, and that was their guy that they wanted on the mound in that point, in that position. But all that said, I think that the difference between the Braves, the, the difference between the Braves being the team of the 90s and the Yankees being the team of the 90s is so razor thin. Like we talk about the Cubs. I know there's been a lot of discussion now, oh, this Cubs team, this regime has been, you know, uh, again, it, there was criticism that they didn't get nearly as much out of it as they should have. And I think that that overall is a miscalculation of what you just said there, which is, is you know, the point you made, which is a good one, which is, this is really hard. And 
if the Dodgers had lost this World Series in seven games to the Rays and never won it over the next five years, everyone would rightfully, because the goal of this is to win the World Series, everyone would rightfully say that team is one of the most disappointing teams of all time because they were this good for this long. If the, if the Braves didn't win that World Series in 1995, everyone would rightfully say, is there ever, they're the Buffalo Bills of baseball, and, but worse, because they were there more times and they kept losing it. But the Braves didn't all of a sudden clear a hurdle because they won it in 95 and now they knew how to win. They still lost to the Yankees you know, later in that decade with the, pretty much the same team. It's just, you know, when we started the start of this postseason, there were 16 teams in these playoffs. It's not an even distribution of who was going to win it. But that said, no matter how good you are, no matter if your hands and shoulders, the best team in baseball, you still probably come into the postseason only with a 30 or 40% shot of winning it. And there are teams like those, that Mariners team that won 116 and then boom, you're out. You, that's what's great about it. You got to enjoy every winning one. You have to really enjoy it because as good as this Dodgers team is this Dodgers team, if they don't make the postseason in the next five years would be stunning. But I have, I would say that they've got a shot to win more than one, but I can't explain to you what the giants did. The giants were, the Dodgers were a better team than them over the course of a regular season for much of the Giants run, for most of the Giants run. And I mean, we know in baseball that the 162 game season is a better indicator. If you want, if we want to say who's going to be the best team in baseball, the best way to do it is to say what we did back in the 1930s and forties and say, we're going to play 154, 162. And the winner of that is our champion for our league. And by the way, we play this extra thing. Let's make it, you know, European soccer but that's not what we want to do. And it's more fun this way. But, you know, again, like, yeah, they absolutely, they're, they're going to have a challenge. They got the, the Padres in their own division. Braves were that close this year and the Braves should be really good again next year. So what's great about it is that we don't know. And even with all the advantages they have financially, we just don't know. And it's also great that a team like the Rays could be a team that could compete with them even though, you know, the, the, the Mookie Betts contract is, the, is in a different stratosphere than anything the Rays would ever consider doing. So that's what I love about baseball is that we can talk about parity. Oh, you know, the Dodgers won. You have a shot in baseball. I mean, what do you think? There's no question the Dodgers, I think, are positioned to continue their dominance. A lot of times when you see a team win eight straight division titles, by that eighth one, it's kind of the end. It's an older group, and they're kind of going for one last ride, and then you know you have to go through a little bit of a rebuild. And that's not where the Dodgers are at all. Justin Turner is a free agent after the season. Clayton Kershaw is a free agent after 2021. Kenley Jansen will be as well. So there's no question there are some, some old standbys that are going to be moving on here in the next two or three years. But they have very, very few long-term payroll commitments. Obviously, the huge extension they gave to Mookie Betts after a trade that was you know, the heist of the 21st century is something that it's going to cost them money in future years, but I don't think anyone doubts Mookie Betts is going to be worth it. Even with that, they're going to have 
the payroll room, theoretically at least, to extend Corey Seager, to extend Cody Bellinger, to extend Walker Bueller. Maybe not all of them. They might have to make some tough decisions, but you have both an incredible core of talent in the major leagues and just below it in the farm system, guys who can come up and supplement it. You have very few long-term salary commitments that will allow you to keep pretty much whichever of the guys you want to keep. And you have the resources to go out and make, you know, any trade you want because you have such a good farm system. You know, we've seen that over and over again with the Rich Hill, Josh Reddick trade in 2016, you Darvish trade in 2017, Manny Machado trade in 2018. And of course the Mookie Betts trade before this year, nothing is guaranteed. It is so, 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 so hard to win a world series. I don't think anyone can reasonably say, Oh, so-and-so is going to win the next three or four. I will say that of all the teams we've talked about, the Braves are going to contend. The Padres are looking great. The Rays, as we've talked about, have the best record in the American League, the number one farm system in baseball, an incredible scouting apparatus, and a front office that's proven it's really, really good at finding players at a low cost and helping them get better. They're not going away. They should be in contention for the next few years as well. But I still think, given all that, when I look at all the teams in Major League Baseball, who do I think is best positioned? The answer to me is the Dodgers. And even if they don't win again, to your point, getting this one, getting the World Series, that's something that's that's a flag that's going to fly forever. That's an accomplishment no one can ever take away from you. And no matter what happens, the Dodgers will always have this year. Um, but but I, I don't think this is by any means the end. This is a really, really good team filled with young and their prime stars, the apparatus to continue being successful, and the financial might to kind of do whatever they want, whether that's extensions, whether it's taking on big contracts, whatever they need to do to win, they can do it. And I think the final piece is, and again, I want to circle back to, if you're going to criticize, you also have to give credit. I thought that Dave Roberts... He was always an incredible leader of men, which first and foremost is what you have to be as a manager. I think that him and the organization showed a lot of growth in their decision-making with the pitching staff, even just within this postseason. Again, we talked about the mistakes they made in the NLDS. We talked about the ripple effects that had in the NLCS. But I thought that what they did in games five and six showed a lot of just, again, better decision-making. You can call it growth if you want. Because I think before, I mean, look, the Dodgers were hurting themselves. And part of the reason they did not win in 2017 and part of the reason they did not win in 2019 was poor decisions with the pitching staff. Obviously, 2017, we now know there was a Stein-stealing scandal, which changes the dynamic entirely. But even pulling Rich Hill in game two at home was something that really set them back. I think if they've proven they've moved past that, and I think there's promising indications they have, that to me was the one thing holding them back. I think if that's truly something they're past, yeah, that this team, the potential is there for a dynasty. Again, you cannot guarantee that. You cannot sit here and say, oh yeah, they're totally going to win the next three or four, the next six. Like, no, you can't say that. That's, I think it's just too hard to win a World Series year in and year out. It's such a grind. But there's no question they're in a really good position. And I think all the pieces you want to see are in place to continue having this sustained run of success. And at the end of the day, that's all you can do. Put yourself in the best position possible. And the Dodgers have done that.
Yeah, and the the thing I'll do on wrap up also with just to say briefly, we'll touch on more in the off season, but also the Rays. When I talk about the Rays lineup and the Rays lineup needing some help, I can't help but notice also. By the way, they also have the number one prospect in baseball who could be up in 2021, and Wander Franco will potentially do a lot to help a lineup that needs some help. And the other thing with the Rays that we know, the Rays team you just watch right there, it's going to be a different team in 2021, not just because of the free agents or anything like that, but they're a team that constantly churns their roster. Some of the guys who were standouts for them this year, the Rays may very well look at it. It's like, these are guys at the peak of their value, and we're going to take advantage of the peak of their value to get someone who's going to be our next star. They're going to have a very interesting offseason, I think, as well, just because knowing the nature of the Rays, they're at this, you know, during last offseason, it was like, hey, we really like Randy Rosarena. We like Randy Rosarena probably more than almost any other team. Let's go get Randy Rosarena. Worked out really well for him. So it'll be fun. We shift into offseason mode. We will next week at Baseball America, we'll start rolling out top tens. Uh, Ray's top 10, I think, is the one we're going to start with. So prospect season is here. Now that the, the regular season and the postseason are over, we just shift over into offseason mode. The list of free agents, I just posted it up on baseballamerica.com while we're doing this podcast. You know, the list of free agents is out. We're going to be, we're going to have a lot coming on, a lot to look forward to over what will now be a long and, uh, you know, we're getting into the cold uh, hot stove league uh, off season now. But we'll be here at baseballamerica.com and Baseball America the magazine for all of it. And, you know, it, we want to, uh, you know, just basically, Hey, we want to enjoy that we had a 2020 season, but now we look ahead to 2021. So for Kyle, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.